Hang on, Mr. Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome back. Hello, power people. Sending you those empowerment vibes as we get more into chapter excerpts from volume two of Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power. I'm Mr. Douglas. Y'all know me. I am so ever thankful that you are here with me. Hope you're hanging in there while we're hanging together. Boy, it's getting crazy out there. Little submarines and CBDCs, wildfires and wacky films. Oh, what a roller coaster. Summer 2023 in the Northern Hemisphere. But this chunk of 2023 has been, and we're only halfway through it. Well, let us empower ourselves. All the more careening through this year and beyond, let's dunk our heads into this empowerment pensive. This episode, we're going to peer into excerpts from chapters 7 through 15. Without further ado, here we go, chapter 7. Here. We. Go. With regard to human organisms, it is clear that they possess innate powers, if only in potential, inactive, or not consciously realized states. It is quite possible to assume that if human organisms did not have innate powers, then they could not exist as the life forms they are. If it is accepted that human organisms possess innate powers, then it must follow that matters relevant to their organization and disorganization are important and significant. And it must therefore follow that any realizing sense of organization of powers must be better than no sense of it at all. Alright, Ingo bringing it in hot hair, reminding us that humans have innate powers. This is important, we must remind ourselves of this. It's easy to forget. The world does not want us considering this fact. Does not want us walking through our day-to-day going, yo, it's innate within me on a species level. I got this, all I gotta do is wake it up a little bit. Even if they are only potentially expressed, we've got them. As Ingo says, it's quite possible to assume if we didn't have these innate powers, we would not be able to exist as the life forms in all our totality that we are. It takes power to live, and that power resides within us. Now, yes, it takes some maintenance to maintain that basic life force expression of power, eating and drinking, going to the bathroom, doing all the right kind of stuff, you know, sleeping, some form of physical exercise. I'd add some form of play and pleasure, as well as problem-solving in whatever way stimulates you as an individual. But at the baseline, there is a power innate within all of us that causes us to exist as these forms of life force expression. And this is, you know, timeless. You've got chi, ki, orgone, ode, odic energy, the animal magnetism, the ether. The list is huge for referencing this universal force that flows through us all. So, we've got these powers innate within us, beyond the baseline of basic life force expression. Then, as Ingo points out, the organizing or growing in awareness of them and cultivating them, and conversely, the deadening of awareness of them, the disorganization of them, 
would be pretty high on the priority list, too, depending on where you sit in the power pyramid. So, any kind of organizing at any level of these powers of ours is better than not having any awareness or organization of them. I mean, that makes sense to me. All of that to say, becoming aware of the powers within us, even if it's simply awareness of the potential of them, is a level up from the baseline of no awareness or sense of them at all. Level up! All right, next excerpts are from Chapter 9. The first of three, you are a go. It is possible to think that human powers, human mind, and human intelligence have something to do with each other. With respect to this, however, it should be pointed up that orthodox knowledge packages about the mind that have evolved during the modern period do not include concepts that bring these three factors together. The principal reason for this is that all issues about human powers are avoided because of socio-cultural programming designed to achieve the avoidance. Thus, the mind is studied and examined without including this important aspect of human existence. Any approach to empowerment, however, must include some kind of discussion along these lines, if only because a bigger picture of empowerment must eventually include knowledge packages about mind-dynamic functions that lead to empowerment. Human Mind Human powers and human intelligence. There's some significant Venn diagramming going on there with those three. And we are living in an era where these three concepts are explicitly separated and sent to opposite ends of the classroom. Stop pulling around! <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that happened to me in school. I think it's all by design. No cardboard-flavored teacher likes to engage with a particularly precocious and questioning perspective, especially in a pint-sized form. If we are going to be talking about power, then we've got to become aware of this bird's-eye view of the situation. Compartmentalizing and sequestering, minimizing, staying in the material mainstream mindset just isn't going to cut the mustard. We've got to go beyond our mainstream POV. We can stay in the car and drive only on the roads paved to take us to prescribed places, usually serving someone or something else first, or stretch and grow wings and find our own path, empowering ourselves and each other along the way. Now, nobody said growing wings was easy, especially when the world has myriad mental wing clippers around almost every corner. I take solace in that if we are able to have this conversation right now, and that there have been people that have come before us, like Ingo and others, countless others, that have taken to the skies, and there are those that are doing it now, taking to the skies, we can, in our own way, do it too. Excerpt 2 from Chapter 9, flapping its wings towards us now. Kaka! Furthermore, a study of how powers were viewed in the pre-modern past shows that although the existence of mind was considered important enough, 
individuals were seldom judged by their minds. They were judged by the powers that were manifesting or not manifesting. In this sense, it seems that minds took second place with respect to powers being manifested, and that it was in fact powers manifesting that were of major concern for any number of important reasons. If this is meditated upon as calmly as possible, it is possible to discern that although all individuals can be thought of as having a mind, there are actually great distinctions between those manifesting powers and those not doing so. I like this one. I mean, I like them all, but I like this one. <laughs> In our past, we weren't as easily pulled into intellectualisms and catchy brands. It was not the minds of individuals that was judged, but the powers produced, or not produced, manifesting or not manifesting. By their fruits you shall know them. I think that's Matthew 7.16. Powers manifesting is where the rubber hit the road and where the feathers felt the sky. And I'll admit, it's easy for me to get wrapped up in the talking and reading and thinking about all of this stuff. The information and the exercises, the practices and the rituals concerning power. But what it's all about is the actual production of the power's effects. Those powers manifesting. Showing themselves to yourself in some way that can be of real assistance. Ingo makes this distinction there at the end, saying that there's a big difference between those individuals who are manifesting powers of some kind and those not doing so. You can feel it. All right, soaring on to excerpt three of chapter nine now. And something like this is still in process of happening just about everywhere. Although the issues of human powers have been deeply submerged beneath otherwise scientific, philosophic, and psychological concepts of mind, individuals are still not recognized and judged by the minds they have, but by their overall power status. One identifiable reason for this is the common knowledge that one can have a so-called brilliant mind, but have no power. In fact, a brilliant mind sans power is just a nerd, or something similar in different lingos. It is also generally understood, at least somewhat, that those demonstrating this or that kind of power might not have too much mind going for them. Even so, such will attract great attention. Right, so individuals are still not really recognized by the beautiful minds that they have, but by their overall power status. You can see this effect on Twitter. And Ingo points out here that those with some significant expression of power may not have much mind activity at all. Again, you can see this thing on Twitter. His use of the word nerd to represent those with little to no power but with a brilliant mind resonates a bit in that uh, I can certainly recall many times when I felt as if I and my mind were not being recognized because I could not display adequate amounts of power or status to be seen in the first place. Yeah, this, I think, is a thing a lot of us go through 
and continue to go through, especially when the lanes of status and power built, you know, as acceptable formats of expression in our society are uh, limited. How best to turn our brilliant minds toward expressions, and even if it's just tangible expressions to us alone, but to tangible expressions of power? This is a question I hope to delve more deeply into as these podcast episodes continue. As Arnold would say, stick around. Okay, next excerpt is from chapter 10. One of the reasons for dragging through the foregoing is to be able to point out several nuances that are never mentioned in connection with the problems of intelligence. It is difficult to see how the human species could continue as such if the majority of individuals possess naturally inferior formats of intelligence. It is far easier to consider that every individual born of the species possesses innate powers of intelligence but that those innate powers do not undergo societal nurturing. Innate intelligence powers probably require the activation of a number of subsidiary powers in order to function at various levels of awareness and perception. And if some of those subsidiary powers are inactive, then the sum of intellectual power will not function too well. In that sense, it is interesting to consider what intelligence is, but it is also to be wondered what powers contribute to and enhance its functioning. I love this. It is difficult to see how the human species could continue as such if the majority of individuals possess naturally inferior formats of intelligence. In spite of the wars, culture or otherwise, clouding our minds, paired with drivel passed around as entertainment along with atrazine and other endocrine disruptors and microplastics oozing through us as we speak, the list goes on in spite of all of that. Human beings have, born in them, innate forms of intelligence. We just have to start activating them, cultivating them, nurturing them. Becoming aware of them is that first step. And the end of this excerpt is great to carry along as we scroll through TikTok and YouTube. What powers contribute to and enhance intelligence's functioning? In spite of the vast, messy sea of stuff mentioned before, I think we have an ever-increasing opportunity to tap into powers and positive contributors to our intelligence functioning more so than ever before. It is one heck of a ride right now, though I'll tell you what. It's not as if the way forward is a yellow brick road that we simply have to walk down. It seems like there is a beaten path, however, several beaten paths, and it's up to us to explore the ones that we footfall the best on. Rightio, on we go to the next excerpt, also from Chapter 10. One can discover that some individuals think they cannot accumulate empowerment because their intelligence is insufficient or inadequate for that purpose. 
it is quite possible that this notion reflects a reality box situation in which lurks some very limited kind of idea about intelligence that inhibits the unfolding of innate powers of mind and of empowerment. Furthermore, this limited kind of idea about intelligence is broadly installed and shared via sociocultural conditioning processes, largely because it seems to legitimize the familiar power structure distinctions between the more powerful, who are thought of as more intelligent, and the less powerful, who are assumed to be less intelligent. In better reality, however, this is merely some kind of sociological propaganda in that examinations of power structures often reveal that the powerful may not really be all that intelligent. Yeah, quote-unquote, I'm not smart enough to empower myself, man. Well, only if you think so. Only if you're viewing your experience through this reality box. And what a janky reality box that is. And also, as Ingo points out, most probably this box was a gift given to you and amounts to nothing more than shitty propaganda which legitimizes the perceptions of the powerful being also intelligent. What? No, 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 no. I don't think so. Especially as we experience the rollercoaster revelations tumbling forth into the general awareness. <laughs> it seems more and more so that the powerful? Actually, at this point in time, do not seem to be all that more intelligent. Hey, powerful, yes, clearly. Intelligent? I have a sneaky suspicion that is, uh, that is not the case, you know? Things, things keep seeming to fall apart. And the propaganda is not that well crafted. You know, we can see through it once we see through it. So it's like, who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? You're not that smart, are you? In fact, turns out we are pretty smart. Okay, on to chapter 11's excerpt. The exact nature of this energy basis is not at all understood, except that it is at least akin to some kind of electrical activity. But what is understood, especially among ostensible mind controllers, is that mind energy can be vitalized and or devitalized, which is to say, nurtured and empowered, or depowered and deadened. The most amazing factor of all this is that mind energy powers can be artificially shaped by information knowledge inputs and by withholding them. Mind energy can be vitalized or devitalized. They can be artificially shaped by the info you have or don't have awareness of. There's that awareness factor once again. I think it makes a much bigger difference in simply broadening the horizon line of our imagination. If you can imagine it, it is the first step for it to become a reality, at least in our experiential 3D physical waking life. Everything around us was once first a thing imagined. All right, chapter 12 excerpt is next. The concern with what information consists of 
often leads to information management having to do with what people should or should not learn or acquire knowledge of. And this kind of thing is what social conditioning revolves around. For example, information about empowerment can be made unavailable and hence an absence of information about it can be artificially constructed. In any event, if the human organism did not have ways and means of acquiring information, then its intelligence powers would have nothing to work with. On the other hand, if intelligence receives only certain kinds of information and does not receive other kinds, then it is probably somewhat trapped within the limits of the kinds it does have access to. From our news media to academia, our search results and beyond, the access to information or nudging away from certain information, by stigma, burial, derision, or delegitimization, by, and uh, hear my air quotes, by authority, will absolutely limit our awareness of empowerment possibilities and opportunities. If you resonate with it, it's probably worth looking into, if only to be able to say, yeah, I looked under that stone and all I found were douchebags. And on to the next one, you can confidently go. I'm pretty sure Joseph Campbell said, if, it, if you are resonating with something, that information is for you. And if you're not, it's not for you. Hold on, I got to look that up. Hold on. Well, it seems whatever I was referencing was some garbled mixture of a whole bunch of different quotes by Joseph Campbell. But he does have this one, which is pretty cool. Joseph Campbell says, if you follow your bliss, you put yourself on a kind of track that has been there all the while, waiting for you. And the life that you ought to be living is the one you are living. Wherever you are, if you are following your bliss, you are enjoying that refreshment, that life within you, all the time. That's nice. That's nice. And it's good to be reminded that we can at any point in time follow our bliss. I immediately have the voice in the back of my head saying, yeah, but how are you going to pay your bills? Totally get it. But it seems like the universe works in a particular way that the societal structure that requires bill paying operates underneath of. Uh, I say all that happy to admit at the moment, I, you know, do not make gobs and gobs of money uh, uh, by any means. But the money that I do make is being made by investing in exactly the kind of work that I enjoy. And in that, there is a pleasure and a freedom that I remember feeling the exact opposite of when I worked as a uh, brand ambassador for a particular meat company running 10-hour days, four days a week at Costco's up and down California. That was not the feeling that I had when I was doing that. <laughs> There was uh, very little bliss, though it did give me the opportunity to practice certain accents uh, and have people think perhaps there was a Frenchman demonstrating this very delicious sausage here for you today. And so, you know, people would be intrigued. Oh, what's the Frenchman serving over there? That was pretty good. It's got three different flavors. Well, you know, ups and downs. But uh, I far more enjoy this and other voice work. And I j actually just in searching for the quote, just got notified that I get to play, actually, a, uh, an old French librarian for a, a Smithsonian exhibit, which I think is going to be for high school kids. But still, uh, really exciting, lots of fun, 
a pleasure to do this kind of work, hein? Mais oui. So you see, follow your bliss. Listen to the Frenchman. <laughs> All right. On to a nice bite-sized excerpt, reiterating a previously made point from chapter 14. A full part of this approach to empowerment thus entails learning about what powers of mind actually consist of. This is easy enough to do regarding some of the many factors involved, but there are other factors that are more difficult to identify. There is a bottom line here. One cannot empower, strengthen what one cannot identify. What powers of mind consist of? Ingo provides a great and stable diving board to dive from. And again, I'm wanting to plumb these depths as the podcast does go on. We'll definitely more specifically get into remote viewing, telepathy, energy work, Reiki, Qigong, orgone energy, mindset, magic, what the imagination is and all the powers wrapped up within these and other topics. One thing that I, I find uh, consistently coming up recently, uh, I found in Liber Null, and there have been quotes popping up quite a bit just in my perusal on the socials. In the Liber Null book, uh, written by Peter Carroll, Peter J. Carroll, uh, he mentions that there is one activity that exists kind of outside of the polar world of experiences that we are placed in here in physical reality, and that's laughter. <laughs> Laughing is a singular act. You can laugh and be happy, laugh and be sad, laugh and be full of rage, but you're laughing. And that laughing is such an act of independent liberation from the present moment. You are simultaneously being super duper present and also removing your egoic participation from the moment because you have this detached perspective. You are able to laugh at the moment rather than be super pissed off or be super sad. And also simultaneously, you are super pissed off and you are super sad. And yet you, so it's this really interesting kind of transcendent moment that we have the ability to participate in. Laughter is incredibly powerful. That's why I think we got, there needs to be a, uh, uh, an even further renaissance in comedy here. And it, it's happening. I mean, you got some really funny people coming out there. We'll always turn on a Robin Williams flick when I'm feeling low. Even if it's just like a YouTube video of his stand-up, the guy is uh, laughter-inducing incarnate. But yeah, super powerful. One of the many things that that is a human power to be able to go, you know what? I'm laughing now. I'm doing that. Oh, and the quote that keeps popping up is uh, um, the only thing that the devil fears is being laughed at or laughter is the only thing the devil, the devil fears. Laughter is incredibly powerful. Ooh, laugh and go lightly. That's another one. Laughter, baby. It's all about that laughter. <laughs> okay. You know, Ingo does, going back to this little quote, Ingo does mention one more time, we cannot empower or strengthen what one cannot identify slash be aware of. Just got to keep defogging that map. 
And for our final excerpt, we shall roll right into an excerpt from chapter 15. And we roll in. If individuals did not have innate powers, then it is difficult to comprehend why they should feel their absence. It is also difficult to comprehend why power structure arrangements seek to establish depowerment methodologies to dumb down something that does not exist in the targeted populations. Generally speaking, and all other factors considered, one cannot feel powerless unless one senses, even if only minimally, that one has innate powers that are there, but are inactive, deadened, or not operational. And in observable fact, one cannot achieve control over the powers of others unless the others have powers to be controlled. In this sense, it can happen that the powerless feel powerless because they sense or comprehend that they possess powers, but the activation of which has been subordinated to those having achieved power superiority. Profound from start to finish, but right in the top. If individuals do not have innate powers, then it is difficult to understand why they should feel their absence. Ooh. The whole excerpt asks great questions and provides primo material for reality box building. You could really only feel powerless if you could sense that there's powers there to empower in the first place. Otherwise, we wouldn't know the difference and blob along blissfully ignorant and happy with our lot in life. We'd be wowed by some, we'd be dismayed by others, but we would never feel something within ourselves that could reach higher heights. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Merci beaucoup, Ingo, and merci beaucoup to you. It is so much fun for me to be able to discuss and share this with you. This is definitely a bliss for me. So let's power up and power on, power people. That will do it for episode three of our Trek Through Volume 2 of Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power. If you have enjoyed this episode, you know, like, subscribe, bell notification, all those fun clicky-dickies. If you want to take the full ride, both volumes are available in audiobook format narrated by me. There is a link in the description. You can find them on Amazon and Audible. Visit my website for more, mrdouglas.com, M-I-S-T-3-R-D-O-U-G-L-A-S.com. And most definitely visit ingoswan.com, I-N-G-O-S-W-A-N-N.com, to soak in more from the mystic man himself. It's always a pleasure to stretch that mental awareness taffy with you. Until next time, thanks for hanging, and more power to you. <laughs>